Are we uncomfortable yet? <laughs> I've been asked to preach today. It wouldn't be very responsible of me to spend a lot of time studying, to research in commentaries, to find illustrations in my life in an attempt to find connecting points with you all, to spend all the time preparing and then show up and not say anything. In fact, I'd probably make a few enemies here <laughs> if I chose to do that. And before any of you think that we're about to have a 30-minute silence, <laughs> we are not. Let me ease your concerns and assure you that that's not the direction this morning. But we're going to come back to a little bit later that moment of silence, that, that uneasiness that we each felt. And it was uneasy for you, and even though I planned that, it was uneasy for me <laughs> to stare at you and smile, knowing that I have something to say, but to just sit in that awkward silence. And so I wanted us to just feel that for a moment. And again, we're going we're gonna to circle back to that uh, towards the end, um, and I'm excited for that. But before we do that, um, if you are new, welcome. Uh, my name is Dan. I am the youth pastor here. Um, I've been asked to preach today, and we're going to quick run through our Acts series. Today is going to conclude that series, and next week JP is going to uh, bring us off into a, a new series. Um, but to bring us all up to speed, maybe we've missed a couple weeks, uh, maybe we haven't been here, maybe this is your first time here, we're going to quick breeze through a lot of the major points that we've kind of covered in the book of Acts thus far. And so, Dan, just a warning, I'm going to go through these kind of quick so that we can dive in today. But we've, in the, we've been in the book of Acts, and in our week one, we highlighted sin. We highlighted sin in our lives and that there is no sin so small beyond God's justice that every sin has its place. There's no sin that we can just kind of disregard, but there's no sin too big that's beyond God's mercy, no matter what's happened to us, no matter where we've been, no matter the choices we've chose to make. There is nothing that is beyond redemption. Week two, we, we went from sin to temptation to follow the crowd, to follow mainstream. But when tempted, we should be yielding to the Spirit. That was with Stephen. And then after that, week three, we went into transition. As if that we are yielding to the Spirit, we may face some really difficult changes. Some may be terrific, some may be terrifying. But at the end of that, we must let God take charge of those. Week four, following the transitions in order to reach the people outside looking in, we, we focused more internally as a church. Maybe unbelievers looking in at us. That if, if they are in fact going to come to Christ, if their lives are going to be changed, we must first examine our own lives from the inside out. And then JP sat down up here. He does that every once in a while just to kind of have an honest dialogue sometimes about some really difficult stuff. And his point was conflict. That as I think we look internally, it's hard for us to look internally or almost impossible for us to look internally and not recognize some sort of conflict with someone or many people. 
That we must strive to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. We must look out for that conflict and seek it out so that we may bring the light of the gospel into those situations. And then two weeks ago, the disciples so much, they focused so much on repentance of sin that they didn't recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. And that was a really, really great fit with where we're going today as well. We're going to focus on the Holy Spirit a little bit as we conclude the book of Acts. And then just last week, I apologize, I do not have a slide up for this one. This was just last week. And JP tackled another difficult topic of spiritual warfare. It's both real and powerful. I think it can be intimidating and scary. So spiritual warfare is both real and powerful, but so is our God, and he is victorious. And if I may make a connection with uh, the students on Thursday nights that we've been going through, we just, uh, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And this last Thursday, we just entered into the throne room of God. And that was a terrifying picture, but a powerful and victorious picture. And so that gets us caught up to today. We are going to conclude and we're going to, talk, we're going to talk about Paul and Agrippa. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But first off, let's pray. God, thank you for bringing us here this morning to worship you, to engage in a community of believers God, I pray that you would be glorified through all of our actions this morning, all of our thoughts today. God, I pray that you would clear our mind and our hearts from the distractions that may be present. God, I pray that we would would come here this morning, regardless of where we're at, regardless of how much we believe in you, and regardless of how much faith we think that we have right now, um, because I will be the first to admit sometimes it is just plain hard to follow you. So no matter where we are, God, I pray that we would engage in your word, that we would be convicted, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I believe that in each person, each person that exists, and I don't think I need to try to convince you guys, um, there is an innate desire to be heard. Wired inside each one of us is a desire for a voice to be heard, either by a small group or a large community. We have strong opinions about politics, people, relationships, work, the environment, and the list goes on and on. I believe that we all come to the conclusion that very few people will actually gain a large platform at which individuals can make their voices heard. Platform. We're going to be looking at that this morning. Because that word is thrown around a lot. However, inside each one of us is a desire to be heard and to make a difference. And according to a report by Technorati, a search engine that tracks blogs, there are more than 70 million web blogs in existence and 130,000 blogs being added to blogosphere each day. And since that report, that was in 2007, these numbers have likely increased by more than 50%, putting it well over 100 million web blogs. 
when our voices are not being heard around us, many turn to the web with the hope of being heard by someone. And that is our platform to be heard, to be significant. When, when, our, when our lives don't feel significant, we try to be heard in different areas and avenues. In this day and age, social, in this social age, the idea of platform gets tossed around like some significant meaning. Celebrities take advantage of their uh, media spotlight to communicate their opinions and worldview. Instagrammers and YouTubers use their quote, uh, quote unquote platform to try and influence their millions and millions of subscribers. Today, more than ever, our society attempts to convince us that we need some sort of platform in order for our voices to be heard. Whether that be a physical platform, a social platform, an economic platform, our society is pushing that importance to be significant, for your voice to be heard, be all you can be. I also believe this seeps into our church in these aisles and aisles elsewhere. We buy into the lie that unless we have a significant platform that we don't have anything significant to share. We see families who open up their homes to anyone and everyone so we leave the ministry of hospitality to them. We see a couple of individuals engage in service or outreach ministry to less fortunate people and we check out as being not as gifted and leave that ministry up to them. So what do we typically do? We wait. We wait until a platform is made apparent in our lives. And until then, we sit quietly in our seats waiting. Waiting. Well, God has not called us to wait. And that's what we're looking at today. But I'm going to ask you now to, if you have your notes out, I'm actually going to ask you to flip them over to the other side. Because we're going to be diving into some background. There is a, uh, there's a lot of content in the book of Acts to cover over eight weeks. And so to bring us up to speed towards the very end where we're going to be, I want to provide a proper context. And so if you'd like to take a couple additional notes, now is your chance, but use the back because there's quite a few of these to give us a proper context for Paul and his defense of the gospel with Agrippa, Agrippa. And so at this point, Paul has gone on three major missionary journeys, one getting bigger and then the next even larger, influencing churches all over Asia Minor, or that's kind of like northeast, um, the Mediterranean area. He's gone on three major missionary journeys. He's planted churches all over the place, and since, uh, since all this ministry, he's been arrested and accused by the Pharisees and Jewish leaders for profaning the temple in Jerusalem. And so they think he is speaking against the temple, against the Jewish law, and so they arrested him, and they have him currently in prison. He is kept in prison in Caesarea, which is a large city north of Jerusalem. That's important. That is an important fact. In this time, Israel is governed by the Romans. And Festus 
In the chapter, uh, in chapter 24, right, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 25, uh, right before chapter 26, we're going to kind of be at the very end of Acts, and so if you want to turn there now, it's a good time. Uh, we'll be all over kind of the 25, 26, 27, yeah, we're all over the place this morning. But Festus is the Roman leader. He is the Roman governor of this area. He is the head honcho. And he kept the peace over a large portion of the Roman Empire, and that, that area is Israel. It was Roman law for the accused to be tried in the city of the offense. Again, this is all important to bring us up to our context. And so therefore, if Paul is accused of profaning the temple in Jerusalem, he must be held on trial in Jerusalem. But he's being held in Caesarea. And there's, this is significant, and here's why. Chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush to kill him along the way. This is towards the end of the book of Acts, but all the stuff we're going to cover is after this point. And I bring this up because Paul should have died. It was Roman law for him to be transferred. He should have been transferred. The Pharisees and Jewish leaders should have had the opportunity to assassinate him. Paul's ministry should have ended. But it didn't. Why? Because Festus thought it would just be convenient to go visit Caesarea. Do we maybe see God's hand moving here? Rather than go, you know what, let's, let's not... It's going to be a lot of work to bring him down here. I like Caesarea. I was planning on going up there anyway. So I'll just go and I'll hear his, I'll hear his case up in Caesarea. Paul should have died. So this is where Festus goes up to Caesarea. Paul gives this eloquent defense of the gospel. And Paul knows his situation. He knows that if he's handed back over to the Jewish leaders, he's, he's a dead man. And he's not convinced after the end of this trial with Festus that it's going very good. And so he does, out of a, a, what I believe, um, kind of the last straw to save his life, he appeals to Caesar in Rome. Again, this is important. He appeals to Caesar back in Rome. And Festus grants him this request. I know this is a lot, so stay with me here. Um, so he appeals to Caesar to save his life. And at this point, Herod Agrippa, this would have been a Jewish leader now. So Festus would have been over Herod Agrippa. He comes into power and he is curious and he wants to hear Paul's case. And so he goes up to Caesarea, both to pay his respects to Festus as the Roman governor and to hear Paul's case. Why? Why did we just do all of that? 
And it's going to lead us to our first point this morning. Our history determines where we share. You can flip your notes back over now. Our history determines where we share. Paul's been all over the place. His life has taken him all over the place. His history and where he's, where he's been brought is determined where he was going to share. Paul's history has brought him to unique platforms and opportunities to share the gospel. Whether it was in a personal choice or a divine intervention, Paul has been taken all over Asia Minor sharing the gospel. And he's about, he's about to embark on a long ship ride to Rome where he will be imprisoned on house arrest, where he is forced to really get creative with how he shares. His history, these decisions all affect where Paul has or will share the gospel. Now look at my own life. And if you, if you guys have been here a while, you probably know a lot of this if you're relatively new. Uh, here's a, a brief look at my life. I grew up, born and raised 18 years in Minnesota. Middle of nowhere, Minnesota. That's just, that's just where I was born. born. I had no choice in the matter. That is part of my history. For whatever reason, God had me in Minnesota for 18 years of my life. And from there, I went to school in Chicago. I went to school for four years, and then I ended up staying there for another three years. So I was there for about seven years. That is part of my history. That is where God brought me. And along this way, I probably worked somewhere along 20 different jobs, random jobs. I did random stuff for, for my dad. I worked at all different sorts of jobs up and through high school, after high school, and then in Chicago. All of these, part of the history, the context in which God has called me to share. And then, of course, three years ago, we moved out to San Diego. And so I want you to each think of just that quick overview of your life and what that's looked like. Where have you been? Your history, where you've been, is important. It determines where you are now. It determines where you will go in the future. So our history determines where we share. Just like Paul had um, opportunities at this, at this moment, he's giving a defense on a podium in a courtroom. And I think we think of Paul's life like he just had opportunity after opportunity to get up in front of thousands of people and share the gospel. Yes, he did that on occasion. Most of the time he was not doing that. Paul did not wait for a large platform to make himself available to share the gospel. He was constantly sharing the gospel, and I'll get to this in a second. I would argue he had more effective ministry not on a large platform. That leads us into our second point for this morning. Our context informs how we share. This is very logical flowing um, from the previous point. If we are at this place... With these people working at this job, that should affect how we would share the gospel. Paul gave a different gospel message to Timothy than he did with Agrippa. He gave a different gospel message in Jerusalem than he did in Rome. There's two totally different people. 
It's very logical. Wherever God takes each one of us, we must be strategic and thoughtful in how we share this good news. What we can observe in Paul's life is that he strategically shared in different ways depending on whom he was ministering to. Chapter 27, verses 33 through 36. Uh, this is on his way. He appealed to Caesar, so now he's on his way to Rome. He's sharing the gospel with sailors. That was his place. That's where God had him right there. It wasn't some significant platform. He was in chains on a boat. And how did he get to the heart of these sailors? They're in a storm and he goes, guys, God's told me we're going to be okay, but you're not going to be okay if you don't eat. So eat. This isn't a glamorous opportunity. He gets to their hearts over a meal. In verse 28, this is at the, uh, chapter 28, verse 17. He is now in house arrest in Rome. He's in house arrest in Rome and, and local church leaders. He reaches out to the local church leaders, both Jewish and Gentile. And he goes, I, I can't come to you, but you can come to me. Come say hi. Tell me what's going on. Let me encourage you. Encourage me, please. I'm in jail. Chapter 28, verse 23, many people came to him. Once they found out he was there, they came to him. This ministry took place in small rooms, over coffee, over meals, over small engagements. Paul was very, Paul was very strategic in how he shared, depending on the context he found himself in. And I'm just going to remind you guys, we're going to get to this in a in a second. But a significant portion of Paul's ministry took place while he was in house arrest in Rome. That's where he wrote over half the New Testament. Letters. He didn't have a microphone to get up in front of thousands of people. He was in prison. But so Paul was so committed to sharing the gospel, he goes, okay, I know these people in all these different places. I, what, what can I do? I'm going to write them letters. He had no idea the impact those letters would have. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the Timothys. I probably missed a couple. And so I look at my life in Minnesota, Chicago, San Diego, these different contexts in my life. Sometimes it is easier. Sometimes it is much more difficult. When I was going to school in Chicago, I was required to work with some sort of ministry. It's pretty easy to share the gospel when you're required to do it as part of your education. It got really hard when I graduated and I had to work in the secular field to pay for rent. And I was a security guard interacting with residents in the Chicago area. Then it got really hard when most of my conversations with them were less than five seconds in the morning on their way out. 
It got really difficult to share that with my coworkers who had had a very, very difficult life and wanted nothing to do with God. So no matter where we are on this, God has called us to a certain place. And our context informs us how to share. Whether we like it or not, you guys, we must be faithful in those opportunities. And Paul is our example here of his faithfulness and these different opportunities. And that leads us to our third point. And this is, the, uh, this is, this is really where God was, I, I think, really convicting me. And this is it. Our platform requires us to share. For far too long, I personally bought into the, uh, the illusion that a platform was going to be a physical one. It is not. And there's a quote that um, I, I think we really, really like, and it's by St. Francis of Assisi. I'm just going to quote it for you. He says this. He says, he's a wonderful, a wonderful man, of course, but he, he quoted, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. <laughs> and maybe you've all heard that quote before, and it's a nice quote, and I've loved it. However, as I thought about it, I can't think of an instance in the entire Bible where there was not good deeds followed by the pronouncement of the gospel. So yes, of course, we should take our, our deeds and our actions into account, but we also must be faithful sharing. God doesn't need a platform. He doesn't need a microphone. He is the platform. He desires us. He desires his people to be that. He needs a person to share the good news right where they are. There were, pe there were people in a high rise that needed to hear the gospel in Chicago, and that's where God had me. It was not some significant place in the world. I didn't have a voice that was being heard by tons of people. It was a couple people. And that was hard. Paul was faithful everywhere. And I can argue again that his ministry in prison had more impact than any courtroom appearance he had. He found ways. This is what got to me that it's, I, I guess to be uh, just honest and transparent with you guys, I guess it's easy for me to, for it to be part of my job to be the caveat of me sharing the gospel. I do that. I do that with the students. Occasionally I'm up here. And it is so easy for me to do that over here and then go home and not even get to know my neighbors. That is so easy for me. The platform has already been entrusted to us to you, whether you like it or not, if you have responded to Christ in faith, you are an official representative and ambassador of God's kingdom here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it too convictingly, maybe I should say. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, representatives. Here's the kicker. As though God were making his appeal through us. As God making his appeal to humanity, his appeal to anyone who doesn't believe him, to appeal to this world through us. 
Christ is the platform on which we stand and declare with every action, every word, and with every muscle we can muster the saving news of Jesus Christ. There is no platform, there is no significant role. It's right here, it's right now, wherever each one of us are. In fact, I don't, I don't have this in my notes, um, but it'd be cool to share with you guys. Uh, we've been, uh, with, the, with the students on Thursdays, I, I kind of nerded out, and uh, I, I was, we were challenging the students, and all of us as leaders as well, um, to be pursuing one more opportunity to share the gospel with our friends, neighbors, family, whatever it might be. And I, I ran a couple numbers by them, and I said for about 50 students on there on a Thursday night, I said, if we were to each have one conversation once a week, 50 conversations a week, each one of us one conversation once a week, we would have over 2,600 conversations by the end of the year. And so I... Again, I nerd it out and I go, okay, well, let's just say a small percentage, of the, small, small percentage of those gave their life to Christ. 5%, 1 in 20. Maybe that number's high, but bear with me here. That means there would be 130 people that would come to Christ through those conversations. That's just one conversation a week. And so then I went even further and I go, okay, next year... It's not 50, it's 50 plus 130. And what if those people had one conversation once a, once a week for an entire year? And I kept those numbers going so that if we, kept, if we just kept having one conversation and then some of those people gave their lives to Christ and they joined in the effort, the entire world would have two gospel conversations in nine years. The entire world being faithful right where we are. Imagine the significance that if we added all you into that equation, we'd do it in like four years. And now I'm going to bring it back to the beginning. What if we spent our whole lives preparing for opportunities to share, but when the moment presented itself, we didn't. Is that any different than me coming up here prepared, notes, studied, I'm ready to go, and nothing? What if we as Christians lived our lives attending church, lived our lives uh, pouring into um, prayer and reading the Bible? And of course, those things are wonderful and good. Of course they are. Preparation for a Sunday morning sermon is good. It's important. But if the opportunity presented itself for us to share and we simply didn't, is it really any different? And that's where I've been convicted of this morning, you guys, is claiming to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. God placed me in a wonderful community in Escondido with wonderful neighbors I have yet to share the gospel with one of my neighbors. It's hard. So this leads us to our, the bottom section of our notes. And if you're 
wanting those blanks filled in, that's going to be on you. My history has brought me where? Where are you? Where does God have you right now? Because wherever you are, that's where you're required to share the gospel. And that's hard for me to hear. That's hard for all of us to hear. My context is, what is it? That's on each one of us. How are you going to do it? What's your strategy? Writing letters, inviting people over, stepping out in boldness. Paul did all the above. And instead of having my platform as blank, your platform is already set. Whether you like it or not, we are each the platform in which God chooses to reveal the gospel to the world. And we can choose to accept that and see that, or we can ignore it. So those last blanks, those are on you. You guys can fill them out. You can not fill them out. You can do whatever you want. But that needs to be our takeaway today. But all this would be, all this would be kind of in vain if we don't answer the question why. And so we're going we're gonna to close out this sermon this morning by answering the question why. And if you have your Bibles opened, open to Acts 26. Acts 26. Guys, this is one of the most beautiful things that I think Paul ever said. Chapter 26, verses 28 and 29. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, they've had this dialogue back and forth. He's given his defense. Agrippa was impressed. And he says, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? This is what Paul says. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Everyone here except for these stinking chains you have me in. That is Paul's response to Agrippa. And that should be our response to everyone we encounter today, tomorrow, this week. I mean, can you imagine if our neighbors, our coworkers came up to us and said, do you really think you could persuade me to be a Christian over this amount of time? No, maybe not. Doesn't matter. But my prayer is that whether in the short time or the long time, that you would come to the realization of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then I just felt it appropriate to kind of conclude our Acts series by reading the last couple of verses. So turn with me to chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. 
And here's our, it can be our benediction, it can be a lot of things for us, but we have gone through so much in the book of Acts, so many different people, so many different scenarios. And this is how Paul ends his life, and it says, For two years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Guys, that is our conclusion to the book of Acts. That regardless of where we are along this way, we've covered sin, we've covered um, temptation to follow the crowd, we've, uh, we've covered uh, tough situations that we might find ourselves in, we've covered conflict, we went over all those before. Um, at, the, at this very end, this is our commission. Guys, this is really, really, this is hard. Again, I like that St. Francis of Assisi quote because it's easier for me to just live a good life. It becomes much harder when I have to follow up that life with words, with conviction. And maybe... I want, I, want to, I want to just quick say maybe this, is, maybe this is all a little foreign to you. If you're new here today, maybe if, if you don't believe in God, that's totally fine. That's totally cool. Um, but there is a reason we take this so seriously. Um, because we believe that Jesus Christ died for each one of us at our worst moments. There is nothing so far. There's no sin. I'm going to get this wrong. There is no sin so small that be, that's beyond God's justice but there is no sin so big that's beyond God's mercy. That regardless of where we're at today, Jesus holds his arms wide open with this invitation. Holds his arms wide open. If you believe the Bible, then you believe in a God that absolutely loves humanity. Each one of us, uniquely us uniquely you, just the way you are, just the place you are, and just the situation you are. God, this, this God, this Jesus, he loves you so much, and there is no distance so far, there is no action or deed that is so bad or so far away from him that he is not willing to reach out to and bring you back. And so if, if that's where you are this morning, if maybe you doubt God, maybe you don't believe in him, my invitation to you is, Maybe you should consider giving this God a chance. How are you doing on your own? And if it's not going so well, maybe, just maybe, the God I believe is the creator of the universe, creator of this idea that he would want a relationship with us. Maybe you should consider giving him a chance. And maybe you should consider stop running from him. Again, I'll just close with Paul's words. I don't, maybe, maybe you're all just sick of this and that's fine, but I just find them amazing. May this be our prayer today that in our situations, through our history, through our context, with the plant form that is the Holy Spirit within us, that we are called to witness now as Christ's ambassadors to the entire world. Let this be our response, whether a short time or long. I pray that God not only you, but everyone in our lives, God. Everyone in our lives that may have an opportunity to come 
in contact with us, God. I pray that today, that tomorrow, that this week, that we would take this seriously, that I would take this seriously, and that we would engage the world, yes, with a a gospel-centered actions, yes, in gospel-centered deeds, of course, but with that verbal pronunciation of that hope that you have given each one of us. God, I pray that you would use us, the platform that you have instilled in us, God, that we would take that seriously, that I would take that seriously, that as we leave today, that we would be reminded that we are on mission for you. And God, I just pray that as maybe there's an individual or individuals here wrestling with the idea of God, wrestling um, with their lives, wrestling with the way things have been going, maybe things haven't been going so well. God, I pray that in these next couple minutes, those people would, would reach out their hands. God, I pray that you would convict us this morning. I pray that you would encourage us this morning to go out and be the ambassadors that you have called us to be, that you don't send us out on our own, that you are, you are that platform in each of us, that we wouldn't be silent that we wouldn't do all this preparation, that we wouldn't do the, all this, the, the, good, the good deeds. And of course, they're wonderful um, coming to church and engaging in community and doing service projects. All those things are absolutely wonderful, but that we would accompany that with the good news of your gospel. Guys, God, that as we conclude Acts, that that would be our commission to engage those around us and this world with your love and your hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.